We are back. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King. This is the A-Day edition of the podcast. 2021 A-Day spring game for Auburn is obviously in the books. Pretty exciting weekend considering we were deprived of this game last year. This was kind of during the height of the COVID lockdowns and everything shutting down in sports across the country last April Auburn spring practice obviously didn't happen, so we didn't get the A-Day game last year. So we have the first one since 2019 on Saturday, and obviously the debut of of Brian Harson's team inside Jordan-Hare Stadium. They've already been in Jordan-Hare in front of some fans for some open scrimmages and stuff, but you know, obviously not in a game simulation type setting like we had on Saturday. The final score of the game, which obviously you can't really look much into pretty much anything that happened in this game, Um, especially negatives. I don't really think you can like draw much from a negative. I think you can only look at the positives and look at what you can possibly learn. But it was 17 to three, um, a little bit different than years past. In years past, you had team blue and team white. This year was team Auburn and team Tigers. Team Auburn won 17 to three. Team Auburn was mostly the starters it was mostly the first team offense first and and the first team defense whereas team tigers was the second team offense second team defense and as the game went on obviously guys were kind of substituted out a little bit more and it became more of the you know third teamers versus the fourth teamers that kind of thing but i thought it was funny i mean i i think there was a little bit of a discrepancy between what uh auburn and and the players and brian harson the people actually on the team the team personnel thought of what their teams were called and what Auburn wanted to present them as because after the game, Harson and all the players sort of referred to their team as, oh, you know, Team Blue did some good things. Yeah, Blue moved the ball here pretty well. White made some plays. So they were referring to it as Blue and White. And for some reason, Auburn decided for it to be Auburn and Tigers. I don't really know how that happened. But anyway, yes, of course, a super fun day inside Jordan-Hare Stadium want to get into everything that happened number one if you weren't able to watch the game I mean I know it was kind of a difficult watch you had to be streaming on the ESPN app it was on SEC Network alternate this was the first time in a while that the game hasn't just been televised on normal TV normally you know it's just on SEC Network but there were seven SEC spring games this weekend so Obviously, it was going to be difficult to slot everybody in there. I will say that Auburn had an attendance of 25 to 10, 25,210 fans is what they officially clocked it as. Obviously, that's bigger than what they had in the fall. In the fall, they they capped out at 17,490, and that was at 20% capacity. They were able, because of some, some COVID strides that we're making, obviously, they were able to move things up to 40% capacity. That was the second biggest attendance of the day. And obviously I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure about everybody's policies, obviously different stadiums and different programs had different guidelines for their spring games, but there were seven games and Georgia and LSU also played Arkansas, Mississippi state, Vanderbilt, and Auburn had the second biggest behind Alabama, which I'm pretty sure Alabama just maxed out their capacity, which that's going to happen with that program. So a pretty good turnout. I think all things considered, for Auburn, I know some people were talking about how they didn't reach the the forty percent capacity. They didn't max it out inside the stadium. But I'm like, I mean, just when you consider all things, um, that was pretty good for Auburn to get that many people in the stadium. So 
wanted to just overview things and then, you know, kind of take a closer look at things. It, it's kind of hard. I think an A-Day, as a spring game, no matter where you are, is a little bit more difficult than even a normal game to glean and to break things down as they're happening because you're not 100% sure about who's doing what and what kind of roles players are in, as opposed to a normal season where you've understood this team by now, um, you know what kind of plays they're running, you know where guys are supposed to be, you know how players are developing within the offense and defense, you can kind of understand whether there are screw-ups, whether there are successes, that kind of thing. But in a spring game, things run really fast. Um, The second half, a lot of it was a moving clock. It was eight-minute quarters, four eight-minute quarters. I was actually pretty happy with the way that they turned it into a, a, a you know game simulation i thought that brian harson might make this a little bit more of a glorified practice session and have a lot more situational work but really there wasn't that much situational stuff the the kickoff teams were not live um so return men were just encouraged to uh finish out the play and, and run it back and people <laughs> people weren't 100 sure about that at the beginning because tank bigs be quote ran the opening kickback for a touchdown end quote. But uh, I mean, and then it, they start, people started, you know, people got on their feet for that. They thought he was returning into the house. The the broadcast said to the house on the bottom, but then as they realized that every single return man was asked to take it back and they weren't going to be tackled, they were like, oh, okay, we didn't actually <laughs> return it for a touchdown. But other than that, I mean, it was pretty much offense versus defense, 11 on 11 um, in a pretty normal game setting. There was one drive right before halftime where Harson put the second team offense, so Team Tigers, um, I think Grant Loy was still in at quarterback at that point, put them in a two-minute drill situation, and that is the only time they scored. I don't really think they would have scored again just because them going up against that first team defense was not really fair. Um, guys were just getting absolutely locked down. The second team offense went three and out the first their first three drives of the game, but Harson put them at the 35-yard line, the opposing 35-yard line with, think about something like that about 35 seconds to go um and they were able to move the ball a little bit Anders Carlson obviously was two of two on field goals for the day so we'll just get right into it we'll break down everything that happens every all the little tidbits what we learned about individual players and schemes and um, how coaches are going to use their offenses and defenses and kind of look ahead to what some of this stuff that we saw means so There were a few interesting notes that we made pregame, you know, just kind of observing everything. Um, First of all, there are five guys that were there and did not dress out. So this is all kind of on the injury front. Um, None of them, well, only one of them really a surprise, I think. So Uh, J.J. Evans, who uh, tweaked his hamstring in the open practice at the beginning of spring camp, kind of hobbled off the field. Um, he did not dress out Brandon Council, who has not dressed out all spring. Offensive lineman, not a surprise. Daniel Foster Allen, who's a defensive end, a redshirt freshman, came in last year. Um, he's been dealing with an injury for a while, so he has been a participant in practice recently, and for most of spring he was, but um, I think it's probably just an issue with that injury flaring back up and them not wanting to risk it. Then obviously Jeremiah Wright, the defensive tackle, who was having a good start to the spring, good first week and a half or so, two weeks before he tore his ACL. Obviously, you're not going to have him available. And then a guy I was really excited to see, so that's kind of unfortunate, Cam Riley, the sophomore linebacker, who's kind of been Auburn's number four linebacker 
right now behind those three veterans, Jacoby McLean, Owen Papo, Chandler Wooten, you know, you were going to have one guy after those. And it's been Cam Riley, who's now six foot five, 209 pounds, lots of athleticism, obviously a really interesting build. It's kind of a frame that your coaching staff can mold. I was interested to see what he was going to do because when we talked to the assistant coaches, Jeff Schmetting, the new linebackers coach sort of insinuated that he might be able to bounce between inside and outside linebacker. He did that a little bit last year, but obviously we weren't able to see him and he hadn't had an injury previously in spring. He hadn't been dealing with anything. So uh, hopefully he'll be able to get back soon. Not sure what that injury was, but so those were the guys who did not um, play, who were not dressed out, but were present. Um, four players did play, but they were in non-contact jerseys. Uh, Shedrick Jackson, the wide receiver, the senior who's been dealing with an injury all spring. Desmond Tisdall um, and Amari Harvey. Desmond Tisdall, linebacker. Amari Harvey, the freshman safety. Both those guys have been in those non-contact jerseys at every practice that we've been able to see. And then Zion Puckett, the nickelback, third-year player. That that was a good sign for him to be, I guess, elevated to non-contact jersey status because he's been sort of limited off to the side, not really participating in a lot of stuff, but now he was able to participate a little bit more. I don't think Shed Jackson got in the game. I, I never saw a yellow jersey at uh, receiver or his number 11. I don't, I don't think he checked into the game looking now. I mean, yeah, I don't see any targets for him or anything like that and then there were a lot of players actually not there and this was probably in terms of personnel just looking at guys and injuries and stuff like that this was probably the most concerning part of the day I guess and the most interesting part of the day because when you think about it I mean this is not this is a practice session and this is one of the biggest if not the biggest of the spring well maybe not the biggest coaching staff would obviously have to decide that but it is a scrimmage um, and it's in front of a lot of fans and it's an opportunity to put things together after four weeks of practice obviously Auburn's got one more day of practice on Monday recording this on Sunday they got one more day to make up for a day that was lost by weather earlier in the spring anyway it's not normal to have six guys if it wasn't 2021 you know just spring games in the past six guys not at <laughs> the spring game you'd be like okay what's well, I don't know what's the deal but now that we've got, you know, COVID added to the mix, Brian Harson did say earlier this spring that they've had a few cases, that they've done a good job of it overall, which has been apparent from the way that the team has looked. I mean, there hasn't been position groups crippled or anything like that or, or a ton of guys out at one time. This is not the first time people haven't been present at practice, but I'll just run down the list is Alec Jackson, the starting left tackle. So Austin Troxel was the starting LT for the game. Xavier Capers, the receiver who... Um, dealt with a foot injury and had surgery early in the offseason and was limited this spring. He was not there. Jay Hardy, who had an injury last season, was not present. Marco Domeo, the Juco cornerback, also who's had an injury this spring and been limited, not there. TD Moultrie, the defensive end or edge rusher now, the super senior, he also missed a open practice a couple weeks ago and was not present at that one. And there was no reason given for his absence there. And then defensive end, Jaron Handy, a guy that I was really looking forward to seeing in the spring game and seeing how he fit in a Derek Mason system and, and how they kind of utilized his skill set. So those six guys, obviously not there again. I mean, you don't want to read too much into it. And that's what Brian Harson said is that, you know, don't make it more than it is. Because obviously there's a common, you know, there's COVID issues across the country. Everybody's got them. Um, Brian Harson didn't shy away from saying that Auburn has had them. 
this spring, but this is probably the only, and this is just, you know, my opinion doesn't really matter. My opinion doesn't matter at all, but this is probably the only, I think, misstep that Brian Harson has made in terms of what he has talked about this spring, because I do, I do think that if you had just addressed the situation and said something to the effect of, well, we have a combination of COVID issues, you know, right now, a few guys with COVID and then a few other guys who for, you know, personal respective reasons, you know, respective to their individual situations, weren't able to be with us today. I don't know, something to that effect. Um, but instead it was, it was a very vague beat around the bush answer for Brian Harson saying, um, you know, well, these guys weren't able to participate um, in what we were doing today. They weren't able to do what we were doing today, but they're still on the team. Um, and to me, I mean, I, I think if you just kind of shoot a lot straighter than that, you cut out all the speculation because that's what a coaching staff wants. That's what a head coach wants. They don't um, like these kinds of situations because they always talk about, you know, don't pay attention to rumors and stuff like that. And I think you can eliminate a lot of that if you just shoot straighter than that. But instead, there, you know, there was no answer given. And now, essentially, people are left to speculate. And some people would say, and I can see both sides. Some people would say, you know, well, it's none of our business. You know, people, you know, you, I, I, somebody said something a while ago that made a lot of sense to me. You know, you know, what have you never missed work before? And that's understandable. But again, a bit, you know, six players, uh, including, I mean, all of these guys are, are were expected to play roles on the offense and the defense this year. All of them missing the spring game. I just kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit and, and everybody kind of wondering what was going on and we didn't really get an answer to it. So, um, but he did say, you know, obviously everybody's still on the team. So again, no reason to speculate, you know, moving forward, we'll see them next time Auburn practices, but which will be Monday and we won't really, I guess we won't see that in person, but um, really no reason to be concerned about any of that. I'm just you know, making the comments and making the observation that those were the guys not there. Okay. So jumping into the actual spring game action, I went back and rewatched the game. You can find it on YouTube. Auburn posted the highlights um, on their Twitter page. And I think, you know, everywhere else they posted their own highlights with Andy Bertram's call, but those are obviously just the highlights of the game. Not a lot of defensive highlights really in there because there were a lot of plays made by a lot of different defenders on the first team, second team, third team that you're not going to see. So um, there is a full replay of it on YouTube if you just look up 2021 Auburn A Day because I know a lot of people um, had difficulty watching this game. So if you want to go back and watch it, you can do that. So watching the replay, and we'll, we'll kind of just break this down position by position. Watching the replay, I think Bo Nix had a better game than his stat line really showed. And then I think, um, you know, you kind of realized on first glance and kind of on face value for him. So he went 12 of 20. Um, for a buck 12 and a touchdown. The touchdown, by the way, on a third and goal, kind of a high degree of difficulty scramble. I think it was a designed rollout for Knicks um, hitting Elijah Canyon in the back of the end zone and Canyon, a lot of concentration to make the catch. And then as he was pulling it down, was hit by the safety as well while he was towing um, the back line of the end zone. So to me, I mean, Tank Bigsby had a 46 yard touchdown run. Those were your two touchdowns on the day, but Bigsby just had to really make one one cut and then he was galloping past that second team secondary because he's the best player on either side of the field so to me that canyon play was probably one of if not the most impressive offensive play of the game really really good catch by him and on a day where the receivers um did make a lot of mistakes brian harson noted but anyway just in the passing game i mean um just on the first drive you saw a lot of under center 
Um, you saw a lot of what Mike Bobo has been talking about. It did look like a different Auburn offense in terms of the power running, utilizing the fullbacks, going 12 personnel. They were they were in 12 personnel a lot. Um, there was a situation when they got to the red zone where they brought in four tight ends. Um, so definitely, definitely a new look Auburn offense. And Bo Nix's first pass of the day, his first completion was a was over the middle, I think for 13 yards, something like that to Tyler Fromm the tight end. So that factor of the offense was definitely present. Um, him getting a little bit more check down ability um, and a little bit easier options um, of running backs caught passes as well. But Nick's really only scrambled out of the pocket and had his, you know, kind of standard stereotypical Bo Nick's play um, kind of, you know, eliminating the play by scrambling out too much. He only did that once or twice, really, when you went back and looked at it. And there were actually a few plays where, look, he's in a non-contact jersey. If, if defenders close in on him and kind of just give him a little touch, he's going to technically be down. But there were a lot of plays where he started scrambling. And if this wasn't, if he wasn't in a non-contact jersey, he would have picked up some heavy yardage. It reminded me of the LSU game last year, it reminded me of the Ole Miss game last year. And so it doesn't really seem like that athleticism for him and his ability to create outside the pocket, his escapability is what Brian Harson called it. It doesn't seem like that's going to be you know, shied away from in this new offense. Harson talked about it a lot after the game um, as something that really excites him as, as Nick's athleticism excites him as kind of a, a second degree of weapons that, that Bo Nix can use. Obviously they want him to push the ball down the field and go through his reads well, but when that doesn't work, he's got one of the better athletes in the sec at quarterback to be able to make plays and so really in that regard it was kind of a standard performance for Bo Nix but I do think he made a lot of good reads Um, there were a few mistakes the wide receivers kind of touching on that now Um, this was a group that 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 needed a lot of work in the spring and Brian Harson has said it now two or three times um, that this group hasn't come as far as they wanted to obviously there are three injuries right now three guys didn't play Shedrick Jackson JJ Evans and Xavion Capers didn't play in this game and they've been injured for most of the spring and you're you're giving that injury bug to an already very very inexperienced group that lost its top three pass catchers obviously Anthony Schwartz Eli Stove Seth Williams lost all of those guys to the NFL so it's a really talented room I mean in the 2020 class they brought in four receivers or excuse me five receivers four of which were four-star guys and the only three stars, Elijah Canyon, who is a starter right now and had a really big bowl game and, and definitely looks the part of a starter and probably is going to be a starter. So so right now you've just got that situation for the receivers and they haven't come along as far as Brian Harson would want. He, he did admit that this is a group that gets a lot asked of them. They've got a brand new position coach, obviously very young, and they're being asked to not only implement this new offense and get comfortable with it and put in all these plays, but also at the same time develop their own skill sets and not be, you know, such a young and inexperienced group and kind of, you know, make people not look at them in that way and not make that something that teams are going to use against Auburn when the season rolls around. Obviously, Javarius Johnson, um, the third year player out of Hewitt Trustville, he's had a really big spring. He's probably had the biggest spring out of anybody on offense. He had an opportunity to take over the slot receiver role and be one of Auburn's top three receivers this spring him Kobe Hudson and uh, Elijah Canyon are kind of the top three he had a good game he was the first punt returner to see the field so that's something to note he looks like he might have that job which is not a surprise he's a short fast shifty guy 
Um, not only because he wears number six, but he reminds me of just a lot of Christian Tut, the previous punt returner in that regard. So, but yeah, I mean, I, this is something where, and this is what me and Jason Caldwell were talking about a little bit after the game. I would not be surprised to see them go after a transfer. And, you know, this might be one of the positions on the roster where they look to bring in a transfer this offseason now that the spring is over because you really, I mean, you don't need a number one guy, right? You, you don't need to bring in an absolute killer on the outside, somebody who's going to, you know, light things up and be a number one receiver because you want to let all these guys develop. And you, like I said, you've got plenty of talent brought in over the past couple recruiting classes and you want to let them develop and turn into great players. And I think a lot of these guys, I mean, they've all shown flashes. Obviously Canyon had the flashes in the bowl game. I thought capers and Kobe Hudson looked good and, and consistent last year, catching passes. I think capers, is a really, really good looking receiver. And then Javarius Johnson's had a really good spring. So you can let those guys develop and let them become the players you think they're going to be still while bringing in like a junior or senior, a guy with three or four years of experience in this receiving core, telling him, Hey, you know, we need a, a consistent guy, a veteran who's going to be the number two or three guy to catch a lot of passes and to be consistent for our quarterback, because we don't have a lot of experienced options. So but really, on the whole, I mean, Bo Nix, I think, had a pretty good game. Again, the, the the scrambles were probably the best aspect for him. He had an impressive 17-yard touchdown run that was called back because they ruled that he was touched at the five. But, you know, again, in a real game setting, you, you, you get touched at the five. You're not going down. You're going to, you know, barrel your way into the end zone, which is what he did before he got touched. There were two drops, which is not really a, a crazy number. I think people... Probably if you watch the game as it happened, you probably thought there were more drops than that. I think there were just kind of some miscommunications and that's what Harson said. And, and Bo Nix kind of alluded to it. Harson did not just allude to it. He was very transparent in saying that, that this receiving core didn't really help Bo Nix a lot. That Bo made the right reads and Bo wanted to push the ball down the field to guys and they just weren't in the right spot for him. They weren't making the right plays for him. They weren't adjusting as he was scrambling, which is, um, something big that Brian Harson and Mike Bobo both talked about. So, yeah, obviously that's gonna that's gonna hold you down a little bit. And they knew that that was gonna be a situation with these receivers in the spring, and they know that it's gonna be an ongoing project moving into the summer and the fall. Bo Nick said he's excited to get with guys, get with his receivers in the summer, and just kind of sling the ball around on the grass and and not really have the coaches there necessarily um, to mess with much of anything and to just kind of get timing down but so they had two drops which is not a crazy number but at the same time when Bo Nix throws 20 passes um you know 10 percent 10 percent drop rate um you know kind of on the whole not really what you want to see but the passing game it did look a little bit different um a lot more emphasis I think on play action and then you did have the under, under center stuff with more tight ends other than that there were a lot of elements and I think it's just because we know these players. There were a lot of elements from years past for Bo Nix, uh, but that's okay. And obviously this isn't a finished product there on offense, but Brian Harson did say, you know, they were pleased with the way that the base offense was run. Obviously the second and third team guys that were going against the starting defense really weren't able to get much going, but that was sort of to be expected. They know that the defense is something they're going to hang their hat on. It looks like this is going to be, I mean, I, I just don't see a situation where, again, unless these receivers just take a massive step and the offensive line ends up being way better than what we think it is. Um, I don't see a way that this isn't a defensive led team. Again, a team that's going to lean on its defense and, and probably produce a top 20, top 30, top 25 defense again, like it's done, like it did every year 
under Kevin Steele. And that's just because the linebackers in the secondary on a day just look so good. Uh, they just look so much better than everybody else on the field. Every offensive player they went up against talking about the starting linebackers who are obviously really deep and really talented, really experienced. So Kobe McLean, knowing Papo, two of the best in the SEC and that secondary under Derek Mason, we kind of got to see him showing off the versatility a little bit. You had smoke Monday and Ladarius Tennyson back there at safety. Obviously both of them looked really good. Nehemiah Pritchett is now playing nickel. So that gives you an opportunity to also put Roger McCreary and Jalen Simpson who had a good game and is now completely healthy after kind of dealing with that nagging injury last year, had an opportunity to put all of them on the field. The defensive MVP came from the secondary. I will say, so the MVPs were tank Bixby, on offense who had the 46 yard touchdown run overall he had seven carries for 64 yards they didn't give him too much burn obviously um, 9.1 yards per carry and a touchdown that'll <laughs> that'll get the job done um, and give you MVP honors the defensive MVP was Trey Elston this is a guy who a uh, local product played at Auburn High School he went to West Alabama and was a really productive player the 2019 season he led the team in pass breakups as a kind of a safety nickel hybrid and decided to come to Auburn. Um, his brother, excuse me, or it might be his cousin, sorry, I don't want to mess this up, uh, is Trey Elston, spelled differently, but he is a former uh, NFL safety, a guy who played at Ole Miss. He was an All-American at Ole Miss and now plays safety in the NFL. Let me see if I can't find out whether it's his cousin or okay. Uh, yeah, cousin Trey Elston played football for Ole Miss and the Buffalo Bills. So uh, Elston, this is a guy that I'm actually kind of interested about after seeing him. I, I had noticed in some of our practice viewings that he was a guy that was getting a lot of looks from Derek Mason. Obviously, Derek Mason also coaches the safeties in addition to being the defensive coordinator. This is a guy that was getting looked at a lot by Derek Mason, getting a lot of work um, and getting in with the second team defense pretty often. And it, it was very apparent after a day that right now he's the team's number four safety. Um, and I don't know how much of that has to do with Amari Harvey still being in that non-contact jersey. We knew safety was going to be thin um, until the fall when you've got a couple guys arriving from this freshman class. And so that gives Elston an opportunity, and I think he's made the most of it. I think this coaching staff has really liked what they've seen out of him. He's a walk-on player, by the way. That's probably that's kind of the, the, the crux of what I'm talking about here is that he's a walk-on who's producing really highly right now. He had six tackles and a pass breakup, and his pass breakup was um, a deep ball that was intended for Malcolm Johnson Jr. in the end zone, and it was sort of a any, anybody's anybody's ball. It was 50-50. I mean, if the receiver boxes out and gets position, he would have hauled that in for a touchdown, but Elson had really good position, jumped at the right time, made a really good play, um, and just looked like a really high-level safety and a, and a safety who's going to be able to produce for this team so I wouldn't be surprised unless guys like Adrashon Miller who's coming in from West Virginia unless they you know try to move him to safety or unless one of these freshman safeties really just starts producing at a high level and turning into a high level player and developing along in the defense really highly in the fall I wouldn't be surprised to see Elston play in the fall it seems like right now he's that number four safety behind it was you know, Smoke Monday and Tennyson obviously were the we're the guys with the first team, the number one defense. And then Chris Thompson Jr., who's a sophomore, um, the former four-star player out of Texas. We kind of knew he was going to be that number three safety. We thought he was going to be a starter um, until they moved, obviously, Ladarius Tennyson back to safety. He's the number three guy. He actually had a really good game 
too. I thought it was funny. <laughs> he, he was asking, he was commenting on the team's highlight video on Instagram, asking them, asking to post defensive highlights. Cause again, there were like good tackles by him, good plays made in space by the defense that obviously aren't going to make the highlight reel, but he's the number three safety. And then you've got Elston. So good play, good play overall by the defense. Um, the team tigers only at 122 total yards. And again, I don't think they really would have scored unless they were put into that two minute situation before the half like they were we had a lot of other quarterbacks see the field let's see in total we had one two three four five six quarterbacks including Bo Nix Grant Loy is the backup quarterback right now but I think if this game showed anything even if you didn't like Bo Nix's performance that much which again I would encourage you to go back and look and it was a little bit more apparent that he was making the right decisions. And I think there was a lot of miscommunication in the passing game, which to be expected was to be expected. And obviously the defense is going to be ahead of the offense in these types of games. I think more than anything, the spring game showed that there's a very, very wide gap for anyone who had any sort of doubts about Bo Nix's you know, starting job and whether he should be the starter. And that's a question, you know, I've been asked this off season with Demetrius Davis coming in. I, I just don't really think that's a valid question. Um, I think the gap between Bo Nix and whoever ends up being his backup is very wide, um, very, very wide, just because Grant Loy playing against that first team defense really could do nothing. He went four of 12 for 29 yards. Um, again, not necessarily fair. He was you know, playing behind the second team offensive line and, you know, playing with second team guys, Devin Barrett and, and Jay Sharp were his running backs out of the backfield. Um, but he really wasn't able to get much going. Demetrius Davis had a few nice plays. Um, he had probably the most exciting play of the day that was not a touchdown. Is a 48-yard completion down the sideline to Malcolm Johnson Jr. Really, really good ball by the freshman quarterback out of Houston. Stood in there, stepped up, and made the throw down the right sideline. Really, really good throw and catch for him. That second-team offensive line, by the way, because there was no Alec Jackson, uh, Killian Zire, the former Juco uh, product a guy out of Germany was playing at left tackle. He's completely healthy now, which is really nice to see after that leg injury last year. Tate Johnson was at left guard. Jaleel Irvin was at center. Cam Stutz was at right guard and Brendan coffee was at right tackle. I will note that Brendan coffee checked in about midway through the game, little, little over midway through the game checked in for Brodarius ham at right tackle. Not a surprise. He and Troxel at left and right tackle respectively have been doing that all spring. Obviously, Troxel was able to get the start because Alec Jackson was not present at the spring game, and then Coffee kind of did what he was supposed to do and re, uh, rotated in there like he has been doing all spring. But that was your immediate second team offensive line. Obviously, I think uh, Troxel is your second team left tackle, and Zaire uh, only got that opportunity because Jackson wasn't playing. Tate Johnson and Cam Stutz are guys, look, watching them, they played really well. I thought the left guard and the right guard on the Second team, they rotated in a little bit with the first teamers this spring. Uh, they really impressed Will Friend and and a lot of their teammates. I mean, we had multiple guys along the offensive line, just kind of unprompted, bring up both those names, uh, Tate Johnson and Cam Stutz, as guys who have really come along this spring, both young players who might have an opportunity to help this offensive line this season if you get injuries or something like that. So I think they're pretty set at the top, and they obviously have eight players from last year who started games and you're going to get Brandon council back in the fall. But you know, if anything goes haywire 
Um, or these guys maybe make a really big step, but it's always good to have depth there. And the guys in front of them aren't going to be there forever. A lot of them are going to be gone after this season. So when they are, it looks like you're going to have good depth behind them. So we'll get into a little bit more. I got a few other things I want to touch on from the game. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You are listening to the Auburn Undercover Podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're back here on the Auburn Undercover podcast. So looking at the second half here, there was a running clock, I think, kind of toward the end of the third quarter. And then at the beginning of the fourth quarter, things really things really flew by in the second half. Um, things really moved quickly. Actually, I'm not sure if they really had a running clock. I think they just kind of let things go. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the officials and the coaching staff sort of let things play out and weren't really taking a lot of time. The end of the game, there were a lot of timeouts as they were trying to move the second team offense down the field. But there were some impressive plays there in the second half. I mentioned Demetrius Davis. Um, he had a play where he juked the life out of Zacoby McLean in the open field. Demetrius Davis was in for the second team offense, running the second team offense at quarterback made a really, really nice cut. You could see his athleticism. So he was a guy that, um, you know, was kind of known for that. He was kind of a Lamar Jackson type runner out of high school um, at North shore in Houston. And I kind of think based on what we saw today and based on how he's progressed throughout the spring, because he's kind of figuring out the offense pretty well. His dad told me earlier in the spring that they actually went under center a lot at North shore. And so he, he, I did notice that he seemed pretty comfortable doing that. The offense went under center, obviously a good bit in a day. They're going to do that more this season under Mike Bobo. Bobo admitted the quarterbacks have had trouble with it. You know, he'd, he'd be surprised if they hadn't, um, but it's come a little bit more natural to Demetrius Davis. That's not any reason to, to win a, win a depth chart spot and beat over Grant Loy. Um, like I think he's going to do. I just kind of get the feeling that, and most people kind of thought this, that you, you, you kind of saw his talent level on display at a day as two, three, four individual plays. Obviously everything else was pretty stale, but that's just because um, it's a lot more difficult again for the offense to have things come along. And especially if you're an early enrollee freshman, but there were two or three or four plays where you really were just kind of like, okay, I, I can, I can see where that guy's talent level is at. And I can see why he was a player that was so highly sought after. And you can see kind of that high school skill set that he had. That was a big play there in the second half that I thought was impressive. Lee Hunter probably made one of the best defensive plays of the game. The first team offense was driving and they stopped them cold uh, near midfield. The second team defense stopped them cold. Uh, Lee Hunter, the freshman out of Blunt, Alabama, Blunt County, dragged down Tank Bigsby in the backfield. Um, excuse me, not Blunt County, Blunt High School near Mobile. Dragged down Tank Bigsby like in the backfield, made a, made a really, really good play kind of busting through. Um, and that kind of that kind of brings me to another point talking about 
another guy along the defensive line, obviously one of the big storylines, if not the biggest storyline in terms of a position change this spring has been J.J. Pegues, the 300-pound tight end, moving from tight end to defensive line. You could see where there was a lot of work for him um, in this game. I thought there were a lot of uh, negative reps for him where he didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but it, it was just kind of he was negated from the play pretty easily. Obviously, again, working with the second-team defense against the starting offense, but there were a lot of plays that just kind of went right past him, and he wasn't able to do much about it. He's only been at the position for two weeks. Um, Auburn thinks very highly of his ability to contribute there. He's really enjoying it um, and has liked the switch so far. Nick Eason, Auburn's new defensive line coach who came over from the NFL and the Cincinnati Bengals has been really pleased with his attitude about the position change and is really excited. He's been giving them lots of tips and that relationship has gone really well so far. But I will just say that this was kind of, you know, a, a brief reality check to say, all right, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get super comfortable with that um, and become sort of a, a full-fledged player at that position. But again, would not be surprised if um, he he files in there in the fall and is able to get that down and become a productive player there. Moving on to the fourth quarter, um, a couple more notable plays, um, two good pass breakups. I thought that Chandler Wooten, so two pass breakups on fourth down, Chandler Wooten for the second team defense, obviously senior linebacker who is back after opting out last season got to talk to him during spring camp and and thought he was really fun to talk to about his perspective of last year and becoming a father and and his perspective on opting out and watching the team from a distance that kind of stuff really really good stuff from him but anyway he he made a really good play sort of coming over the middle from his linebacker spot we've seen that from him i think auburn needs that coverage and i think Derek mason is really excited to have a guy with him like with his frame at six foot three really really good sized linebacker to sort of play that be an inside backer but sort of play that roaming role because we've seen that from him in the past that's how he made that interception um, against Arkansas on that fake punt a couple years ago and we've seen him make plays like that in space I think he's pretty talented against the short passing game so I mean that, that's a lot to take away from just one <laughs> one pass breakup on a spring game but it was an impressive play by him and, and something definitely worth noting and then Eric Reed Jr., who's a second-year player, um, former four-star defensive back, he had another play that was almost almost mirrored the play by Trey Elston. It was a fourth and one, and Auburn decided to launch it into the end zone. I can't remember who the quarterback was. It might have still been Bo Nix um, for that first-team offense, but he's with the second-team defense. He's playing corner now. Um, he sort of came in and was molded to be a safety and kind of looked like signed to be a safety, and they thought he was going to play safety, but he's playing corner this spring, and I'm not entirely sure the receiver he was going up against, but just sort of a really good play in the back of the end zone, making a box out, um, getting in there and making the pass breakup. So good for him and, a, and a, good, a good play by him. I thought he had a pretty strong day. Another guy who sort of caught my eye was Kamal Haddon, who is the Juco transfer, a guy who's an early enrollee. Um, you've sort of seen the energy from him all spring and the opportunities we've had to view practice. He's, he's a guy with a motor that just does not stop a guy that you can definitely tell enjoys being out there on the field. Just a really, really high energy guy. Definitely a talker, definitely a trash talker, which is exactly what you want. Most of the time at cornerback, he had a pretty good game. I thought he had a couple good breakups. Um, and some of his teammates on defense were really high on his abilities after the game. Smoke Monday said that he's a guy that we should be looking out for people following Auburn, Auburn fans should be paying attention to moving into the fall because he thinks he has a good opportunity um, to make some impact in the secondary at the cornerback spot in the fall and moving into the season, which is pretty high praise and is 
And it's pretty big because this is a really, really deep and talented cornerback rotation. And I'm not sure people necessarily thought a guy like Kamal Haddon was going to beat out other guys and, and get a ton of playing time, especially with Drayshon Miller, the transfer from West Virginia coming in. So uh, I, I think I think Monday is exactly on the money. And I think that uh, Haddon will have a good chance to contribute in the fall. The other MVP I did not mention was Anders Carlson. I believe this is the seventh straight year. <laughs> that a Carlson brother has won MVP. Obviously, next year is going to be the first year for them without a kicker, but um, they've got some good options on the recruiting trail. They're, they're in a pretty good spot for the number one kicker in the country, but Anders Carlson hit two field goals. I will say, just to be completely transparent, I voted for um, Oscar Chapman. He had three punts and an average of 42 yards, um, including one that went for 54 yards, which is really impressive, and he pinned one inside the 20-yard line. So, I mean, I thought that was a really good mark for him and and Carlson's two field goals. I didn't think, I mean, they were they're from 28 yards and 34 yards. Obviously, he's very good. I think he can be a really, really good weapon for Auburn this year. Not that he hasn't been over the past few years because really midway through the 2019 season is when it just sort of clicked for him. He got out of that funk and he really hasn't, has never gotten back into it. Um, I think he can be really, really good. Philip wrote last week in the For Your Eyes Only piece here at Auburn Undercover, sort of the, the notebook on the status of the program and sort of some insider notes. Um, he wrote that this coaching staff thinks that Anders Carlson can be an All-American. He has had that kind of a spring. Um, I, I think you can probably count on one hand, just from based on what I've heard, you can count on one hand the amount of kicks he's missed this entire spring. Um, and they're testing his limits and pushing him way back in warmups. He was really, really impressive. We're talking hitting 60-yard kicks, stuff like that. So he's a guy who has worked on his craft and has developed his leg every offseason he's had with this team. And you can see that power every year when he comes back after the offseason. Not necessarily the accuracy until midway through, I guess that would be his sophomore year. Really, things started to click. Last year, he was 20 for 22. Um, he had the same accuracy rate on field goals of 40-plus yards as Jose Borgales, who won the <laughs> uh, the kicker award. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the kicker. The Groza, the guy who won the Groza. Um, Anders had the same field goal percentage as him and the same percentage on long field goals as the guy from Miami who won the award. So um, I, I thought Anders Carlson, this is just kind of, again, an aside, a little bit of a tangent talking about him winning MVP, but I thought he was a, a bit of an underrated piece for Auburn last season. Obviously he had the game winning field goal against Arkansas, which I mean only came because he missed the field goal before him, but he didn't miss many kicks last year. He missed, only missed two of them. And I, again, they think he can be a really high-level player. He was voted first-team All-SEC um, last season. I think he can replicate that. I think he can be even better. He's obviously not going to be Daniel Carlson. He's not going to be the SEC leading scorer all-time just because he's not able to, <laughs> to make up that ground that quickly, although he could take an extra season and be a super senior. But I think he's got NFL aspirations. Um, and again, this is just kind of an observation from being at the game. Um, and, and listening to people throughout the spring is that I think he is going to be a very, very big weapon for this team in the fall. So that's pretty much all I've got going through my notes here. Um, there were 15 drives on the game. Again, six different quarterbacks played. I thought Bo Nix easily was the most impressive. Demetrius Davis probably had the most impressive individual plays. I thought he made two or three plays that really showed off his athleticism. You had Tank Bixby as the MVP, Sean Shivers, I mean, obviously ran really hard. You, you never don't see that out of him. He had 12 carries. He had the most carries of the game, 12 carries for 55 yards. 
Um, his longest run, he had a 12-yard run in the first half where he was breaking tackles on the sideline. Thought that was really impressive. Uh, we've come to expect that out of him. Devin Barrett was the number three running back, the guy who has moved over um, from defensive back back to his original position. Jay Sharp was the number four running back, the walk-on out of Pinson Valley, who's had a pretty productive spring. Um, just kind of looking at the stats here, trying to see if I missed anything. Nope. I think we're all good here. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of go through and talk about the observations from the game and what they mean for the fall. Again, Auburn has one more practice on Monday to go through to make up for that day that they lost because of weather earlier this spring, and then they're done and they don't come back till June. Obviously the NCAA has lifted the uh, recruiting dead period. This is something I wanted to note. Um, June 1st, the recruiting dead period is going to be up and they're going to be allowed to have official visitors on campus. Brian Harson was asked after the game what the team's COVID plans are for right now in terms of, you know, just vaccinations. You know, is the team, are they going to offer vaccines to everybody on the team? And that's, you know, a pretty important question talking about, you know, it's very topical right now. You know, we're wondering whether that's going to be something they're going to try to do for all of college football in order to get guys as protected as possible. And Harson said that he's had conversations with other head coaches and Auburn, um, Auburn's administrators and, and, and higher ups, obviously trying to get things figure out, figured out. And he basically said that that June 1st date is very important right now for them. Um, kind of looking at that, wanting to make sure that they have something in place where people who come on campus, June 1st, families who come on campus, recruits who come on campus, that they're going to feel safe and comfortable because of the way Auburn is protected. So uh, he didn't really spell it out that plainly, but it's sort of insinuating that that is kind of a target date that's going to be really key for them in terms of their timeline for getting a plan like that figured out. He said some of the coaching staff is vaccinated, not all of them. Um, Didn't say anything about the players. I know some of the players are, and then obviously some aren't. So um, that's something that they're working on. He said every day, every day he's having a conversation with somebody about that. So Again, hopefully that's something that will get in the works very soon and uh, that players will have an opportunity to have that because things were very encouraging. Again, second biggest crowd of the weekend. They were able to up the stadium capacity to 40%. Maybe that number can get pushed up and up and up over the next few months and we can get closer to a full stadium in the fall because that's what a lot of players talked about after the game is that this was, I mean, this look, this was the biggest crowd they've played in front of since the 2019 Iron Bowl, which was pretty crazy. So if you can continue to push that number up, obviously everybody, all the players do miss that home field advantage. And if it can be done safely, which it looks like, um, you know, we're in a position where things can start to be done more safely. um, That's really exciting. So that's it. And, you know, 2021 a day game is in the books. Now June will be the summer workout period. And then after that, it's on to fall camp. And the first football season of the Brian Harson era starts September 4th against Akron. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We are back on Spotify. Shoot me a message if this podcast does not show up somewhere that you like to listen to podcasts because I can go in and make that happen. I can go in and add it. I believe I was able to do that. So leave us a five-star review if you liked it. I promise that is the number one thing that helps out if you did not like it. Um, Shoot me a message. Let me know what we need to improve on the intro and outro music is by my good buddy Beats by Mordecai. You can find him on SoundCloud, Twitter, and Instagram. And we will see you guys later. Everybody have a good week, and thank you for listening.